0: In your Bibles, the book of Genesis, chapter 1, and verse 1, and uh, I'll give you a few minutes to find it. Everybody got it? I think you have. Stand to your feet with me, if you will, as we read God's Word together, and beginning in the first word of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. He called the light day, the darkness He called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. You may be seated. A biblical worldview is the goal of what I'm doing in this series of messages. I'm preaching, Lord willing, through the first 11 chapters of Genesis over the next period of time here in our church's life. And I cannot think of a place in the scripture that would be any more important, very few as important, to life today in America, to live in our culture. Now, a biblical worldview, when I use that term, I'm referring to looking at life, our perception of the things around us, looking at life through a biblical lens, looking at life through a pair of biblical glasses, if you will, interpreting the events of my life biblically. Very few people think like that today. Because you and I are active in a church like this, we get the idea that a lot of people believe like we do. If you were to survey all the people in America today, the pollsters tell me that only about 10% or fewer of the people in this country have a biblical worldview. And that is a major, major change because formally, 125 or 50 years ago, the vast, vast majority of people in America had a biblical worldview. But no longer is that true. America has moved culturally. America has moved spiritually away from interpreting life through the Bible. Now, The first 11 chapters of Genesis deal with almost everything there is in life that you will ever encounter. Everything that's important, it's going to be dealt with in these chapters. You may not think that, but as we go through it slowly, you're going to see if it's important, it is dealt with in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. They are absolutely foundational their key to understanding the rest of the Bible. Adrian Rogers said it so well. God hung the key to the entire Bible at the front door. And so actually in Genesis 1, 1, 2, 3, along there, you have some of the most important teaching in all of the Word of God. So I hope you will listen to me today. And somebody said it well. If you can... Believe the first verse of the Bible, you won't have trouble with any of the rest of them. And I think that's so true, don't you? You won't have trouble with Jesus Christ resurrecting from the grave or Him healing a blind man or any of the other miracles of the Bible if you, in fact, believe that God could create the heaven and the earth. And so, if you can believe the first verse, the rest of them will probably come pretty easy for you, won't they? Now, the Bible begins with this phrase, in the beginning. And I preached on it last week, but we didn't quite get all the juice out of it. And I want to remind you of some things I said because they're so critically important. I I want you to be able to learn them. The Bible begins with the phrase, in the beginning. In the Hebrew language, that's just one word, Bereshith. And Bereshith means beginning just like you would think it would here. Bereshith means first. It can mean first in time, and that's what it means here, in the beginning of time or before there was any time. Bereshith can mean first in place. if uh, If you counted several items, the first one would be Bereshith first. It means first in order. And so, all of those concepts are involved here with Genesis 1.1, Beresheath, the beginning, the beginning of everything that there is. Now, last week, I spent a little time talking about what was there before the beginning, because there was something before the beginning, and that something is the Trinity. And I showed you how that God existed in eternity past, that he was busy. There was activity. He was naming uh, things. He was choosing people to be saved back there before the foundation of the world. The Bible says he chose us in Christ. There was love between the members of the Trinity Uh, God was making plans according to the book of Ephesians, so it was not some mystical type of thing. Almighty God existed in the person of the Trinity, and He was active. There were things happening at that time. There's a wonderful verse. Hold your hand there in Genesis, but go with me to the book of Jeremiah, if you will, over in your New Testament about three-fourths of the way. The book of Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 16, and it's a fascinating verse. I've always, when I would come to this, I've thought about it. Jeremiah 10 and 16, the portion of Jacob is not like them. The them there are the idols that he's been describing in the previous verses. The portion of Jacob, referring to God, is not like those idols, for he is the former of all things. What an interesting word, and what an interesting phrase. The God of the Jews, Jehovah, is the former. He was. He existed before all other things. Uh, theologians use the term sometimes the first cause, referring to God. God is the great first cause, meaning that it was God, the first cause, who caused everything else that existed. God, the first cause, the former of all things. Now, what makes that really important, you see, is that almost all other accounts of creation that you will ever read or hear about they begin with something already existing. No other view of creation that I'm familiar with begins with an absolute nothing, but Genesis does. There was nothing in existence but God himself. And all other accounts begin with something. Usually that something is some matter, some undefined form of matter or energy, or something somewhere. And it begins with that it, because it cannot explain creation without that. After all, we know, or most of us know, that nothing cannot produce something. So, it has to start with some form of energy or matter or something like that. But the Bible begins with absolutely nothing. It's hard for you and I to image absolutely nothing, to to even think about it. But I'm going to present it to you like this. Let's start with a circle here. Let's visualize a circle. And inside that circle, I want you to imagine everything that exists is, that there's nothing outside that circle except God himself. The only thing there is is a circle, and everything there… The solar system is in there. The sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, the mountains, earth, uh, rivers, seas, all the human beings, all the animal life, all the vegetable life, everything that is and ever existed is in that circle except for God himself. And then if we want to begin really with nothing, then we take away the circle and there's nothing. We just removed everything that ever existed. There's nothing, nothing. It's a circle with the circle knocked off. It's nothing, nothing, nothing. There's not a molecule, a cell left in the entire universe except God. That's where the Bible begins. That's what bear a sheath means, in the beginning of everything. Now, Let's follow through. In the beginning, God created, and what did he create? I spoke about these last week, but I didn't give you some of the information that we need. And so in the beginning, God, first of all, created time. That's what Bereshith means. He created time. So we're going to talk about the origin of time and space and matter today again. Again. You see, time had a beginning. Time is not an infinite thing. There was a time when there was no time. <laughs> and it's before Genesis 1 and 1, before God created time. He created time. And we live in time, and it's hard for us to imagine that there was not time, but there was no time before Genesis 1 and 1. And then I want you to keep your finger there again and turn again with me the book of Revelation chapter number 10, and verse number 6. And it's interesting how these important concepts always begin with creation, as this verse does here even in the book of Revelation. And so, there was no time until God created the time in Genesis 1 and 1. And in Revelation 10 and 6, and swear an angel by him that liveth forever and ever, There, God is eternal, who created heaven and all the things that are therein in, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. Mark that phrase in your Bible, time is going to run out. There was a time when there was no time, and there's going to be an ending to time. At the end of the age, the angel says, "There's not going to be more time." And we've all seen an hourglass, and the sand is in the top, and it runs down through the little narrow neck, and it runs into the bottom, and finally the sand runs out. And just like the sand runs out in the hourglass. One day, time will end. You see, we view events always in time. You can't think without thinking of time. It's impossible. So, we think of it, we view time backwards much of the time. So, we think about the past, and we live here in the present, and we anticipate the future. Now, you take out past, present, and future, and see what you can think of. See, time is essential to our whole existence. All events if occur in a flow or a sequence of events, one after the other, one following another. Yesterday, I did thus and so. Today, I do something else. Tomorrow, I anticipate something else. I can't remove myself from time. I'm a creature of time. time flows from the Creator. He created it right here. It's, and it's such a complex thing to talk about. It's so ethereal. All the events of the universe are experienced through time. But then it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven, and so He created space. You can go down to verse 6 and see a little bit about it. God said, let there be a firmament and so he calls space a firmament there. And the word firmament in your Bible has the idea of, of an expanse. God created an expanse. Now, it's talking about the whole of space out where the solar system is, out where the uh, spaceships go, uh, out where the galaxies are, but space is everywhere. And like time, we can't, we can't escape time. We can't escape space. Here's space right here. That's space. But it's not very big space. It's a little small space. You, you don't know much about it. It's just that big space. You can't see it. It's invisible. And yet it has height and it has depth and it has width and you couldn't there's nothing in it you just say it's just nothing you're just marking two things here yes i have to have matter to be able to even define space and so i can define a space from here to that chair but you see it requires matter for me to even see the space and god created and it goes on forever it's infinite and so we talk about light years when we talk about space. We talk about the, the moon is 240 or 290,000 miles from uh, the planet Earth. And it's a, really a short distance in space. It is infinite. It's like God himself. It never ends. It's invisible. It's like God himself. People say, I don't believe in God. I can't see him. I can't hear him, smell him, taste him, all that. No appeal to the senses. Well, do you believe in space? You can't see it. Do you, are you going to say space is not real? It's so real you can't escape it. You're captive to it. You live within it. There's nothing that you and I can talk about. It's omnipresent. It's everywhere around us. It's the And the only thing that exists outside of space is God because he created space right here. And then he... In the beginning, God created the heaven, and he created the earth. That's matter. And it really gets interesting now because we can't see or feel or taste or touch, smell uh, time, and we can't do that with space, either one. And yet we know they're very real. We know they are the building blocks of the universe. God didn't start with a tree. He started with time and space and matter. And so he created matter you know what matter is everything that matters <laughs> not really <laughs> but matter is everything that's tangible everything that's material and the scientists talk about it as mass dash energy because we know that energy is a vital part of matter and uh, i don't want to get it too complex for me but god created all matter And so one day there was no matter. (laughs) And the next moment, there was matter. It mattered. Now, the evolutionist has to begin with matter. The scientist today, modern science begins with matter. So you read a science book, and what will they say? Well, back in the eons of time, 14 or 18 billion years ago, some fella counted all that, I guess. 14 or 18 billion years ago, there was a, and then it mentions something, a speck of something or a bit of energy or something. But where did that come from? The thing that they can never answer, the secularists can never answer is, where did this come from? There was nothing, and then they began with something. Well, where did the something come from? It just blows your mind, doesn't it? Matter is what makes space visible to us the pulpit, the chair, my fingers, or you go out into the world. Space becomes visible to us when we delineate it by two or more pieces of matter, two points. And so now, God, the first cause, I picture him sitting at his workbench. <laughs> That's just the way I can picture and visualize it. And he has time, a finite something. He has space, an infinite something. He has matter, all the material matter there is or that ever was. And like a potter who's sitting at a workbench working on a utensil of some kind, God at his workbench has all his, the materials he needs, time and space and matter. And he begins to make the universe, Genesis 1.1. Now, we move to verse 2. And we find here the undeveloped universe is described for us in one little verse. I call it the undeveloped universe because it begins the earth was without form. It was not developed yet. And it was void, meaning empty. And so it's hard for us to comprehend that. It's hard for me to get my mind around that. Without form means it's unformed, some sort of shapeless mass of matter. And there was water. There was water there, we find out in just a verse or two. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The deep has the idea of water. So early in this process, Almighty God created water, which is, of course, matter itself. And so we have this unformed mass of of matter and water and it's void. It's empty. There's nobody here. There's nothing here. Now, again, keep your hand in Genesis and go in your Bible to 2 Peter and chapter number 3, and I'll prove to you that there was water there at that time as God was beginning his creation work. And so in 2 Peter chapter 3 and in verse number 5, For this they willingly are ignorant of. And who is the they that are willingly ignorant? It's the scoffers who laugh at the Bible, who in the last days, they're walking after their own lust. Boy, is that not descriptive of our world? That's in verse 3. And then you come down to verse 5. They willingly are ignorant of that by the Word of God The heavens of old and the earth were were standing out of the water and in the water. So we have this formless, shapeless mass of material. I hardly know what to call it because there's nowhere to go to learn what we should call it. And it's void. It's uninhabited. There's no sea, there's no mountains, there's no rivers, there's no trees, there's no human beings, there's no animal life, there's no fish in the water. It's just this dark, foreboding mass of matter and water that the Lord is working with like the potter working with the clay. It's in complete and total blackness. There's no sun, no moon, no stars, They're not created until the fourth day. And so, you picture that pre-creation earth where the Lord has just created the basic elements. Now we continue reading in verse 2. And, and that's an important word that is so, so very important in what I'm teaching today. Let me tell you why. If you will look down through the rest of the chapter every verse in the rest of this entire chapter begins with the same word, and. Do you notice that in your Bible? There's one exception. It's verse 27, I think, and it begins with so, which is also a conjunction, a connective word. Every single verse begins with the same word. Interesting to me, I hope, and to you. And so, and it begins, the second part of verse 2, the Spirit of God, capitalized the S, meaning the Holy Spirit. And the word spirit in your Bible has the idea, it, it's of it's breath. The word is ruach, and it means spirit or wind or breath the breath of God, as if God is speaking, and he is speaking. The breath of God, and God speaks. The Spirit of God is present there at that time when just the basic elements have been created, time, matter, and space. And the Spirit of God moved, and circle the word moved in your Bible, moved. And the And the word has, it's such an interesting word. It has the idea of vibrating something, of vibrating or shaking something. The Spirit of God acted upon that mass of watery materials, unformed, unshaped, in the dark, void of everything, just those basics, and the Spirit of God breathed on that a breath so powerful he vibrated it. He shook it, if you will. What was happening there? The Spirit of God was starting the processes that we're going to talk about in days to come that makes the earth function. He's breathing life into the earth now. Up until now, it's this inert mass of formless uh, materialism, material things, dirt, water, elements, the chemical elements are all there. And he begins this succession of events. The and word starting each verse means one thing after another happens in time. It happens in sequence. It happens in logical order. I'm, I'm going to show you an article that a, a, an engineer, a mechanical engineer wrote about how that these processes here, they had to occur in the order in which the Bible puts them. The sequence had to be. First, you have to start these basic elements, the space, time, and matter, and then you begin to go uh, 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 sequence, event after event after event. And he said, God must have been an engineer because it would have taken an engineer to put a process together like that, that all engineers today would use a very same thinking process to be able to create something that was intricate like the world and the universe is. And so the Spirit of God, the wind of God, the breath of God, God breathed upon this mass And it started the processes that make our universe function. He was energizing this mass of material he had created, if you will. We use the term when we start our computer, we sit there and wait for it for a moment. We say it's powering up. It's powering up. The Holy Spirit of God breathed upon that mass of material that God had just created, and he powered it up. <laughs> he gave it the energy for the cycles that we have, the the tremendous energy that's contained in the whole universal system here. And forces like gravity, I believe, and I've read a lot on this, and the people that know so much more than I do about it, the great creation scientists, they say, this is God breathed and He created these forces, these cycles that make things function. So, probably He created gravity right there in verse 2. He probably created electromagnetism, where all the particles and all the atoms have a little bit of energy and they're held together in that way. And all that came from God, the Holy Spirit's breath, these forces, these electrically charged particles that hold our system together and give it energy, it came from the very wind breath of God himself. Turn to the book of Job with me, 38, Job chapter 38, Job 38 and 4. The Lord's been listening to Job and his friends' discourse and speak about all these various things for 37 chapters. And then in verse, chapter 38 and verse 1, the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind. And he begins to speak to Job, and he asks him questions. The rest of this chapter is question after question after question. Verse 4, And Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? <laughs> You know so much, you guys think you're so smart. Where were you that morning when I laid the foundations of the universe? Declare, if you have understanding, who hath laid the measures thereof? If you know, tell me. Or who hath stretched the line upon it? The line there is a surveyor's line. In other words, who has measured? Who has the knowledge to measure this universe? Whereupon are the foundations, or the sockets, we would say, thereof fastened. And who laid the cornerstone of the whole universe when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God, that's a reference to angels, shouted for joy. So we find out there were angels perhaps present in all that. And they shouted with joy and they sung praise to the one who was bringing all of this into existence at that time. So the Holy Spirit breathed upon it and God shaped this watery mass into a circle or into a sphere more properly that we today call earth where we live. You won't have time to write these down or to look them up, but if you want to jot down the reference, I'm going to give you three references real quick that what happened right here that the Bible talks about. One is Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 27. I'll read it for you. He prepared the heavens, he drew a circle upon the face of the deep. Proverbs 8 and 27, Job 26 and 7. He stretched out the north over empty space. He hung the earth upon nothing. Descriptive of that creation morning. He hung the earth upon nothing. Job 26 and 7. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22. He who sits upon the circle of the earth, the circle of the earth, Wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible somewhere say something about the the four corners of the earth? Yes, it does. And um, don't the skeptics all say, oh, see there, the Bible taught a flat earth. Well, the Bible didn't teach that. That's figurative language if you'll go back and read it. The Bible teaches, by the way, before Columbus proved it, when all the scientists in the world said, Don't go out too far in the sea. You'll fall off the edge. And Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. That's the one thing I remember from school. And uh, Columbus discovered that the earth was spherical. It was circular. But he didn't have to go out on a boat to know that. He could have simply read all the Bible, could he not? And three different times the Bible says the earth is circular. It didn't take Columbus to prove that. God's Word had already stated that, hadn't it? So there is, in the best way that I know how to describe it, scripturally, I'm not a scientist, obviously. I'm a preacher. But I open my Bible and I see, boy, there it is there it is. It's been there all along for us. It is so logical. It makes so much common sense. It just tastes like it's truth, doesn't it? Well, there are three people that join me here. Now, here's the thing. I'll leave from the Scripture for a moment and try a little bit of logic with you. So when it comes to creation, there are not many options. Francis Schaeffer, the great philosopher that I quote so often, meant so much in my ministry. Francis Schaeffer said, in any of the profound questions of life, the number of possibilities are few indeed. In any of the profound questions of life, is there a God How did the earth come into being? Profound questions. In any profound question of life, the number of possibilities are few indeed. And what are the possibilities? Well, option number one, everything could have come from nothing. Is that a possibility? Really, it's not. It's a theoretical possibility. But we know that If you have absolutely nothing, like I've already illustrated with the circle, if you took a test tube and created a vacuum in it and purified it, and the vacuum uh, everything was sucked out of it in a vacuum and and it was sealed and nothing could get in and nothing could come out and there's nothing, nothing, nothing inside that test tube and you laid that test tube down how long do you think it would take before there would be something in the test tube? And you say, well if the seal wasn't broken never, you're exactly right nothing cannot come from or something cannot come from nothing. Our logic tells us that. There's no serious theories about creation that says things came from nothing. So then the second option, everything came from some force, from some impersonal, not a person, just a force of some kind. It's manless. And here's the logic of that. Listen to him, I'm going to read it to you because I want to say it precisely. This force, plus billions of years, acted on matter whose origin we cannot explain. The force had no plan or design, and so so through random selection alone, it produced everything. That's what you kids are being told in college. These erudite, highly educated, brilliant men are teaching you that and destroying your faith. Because when you destroy Genesis 1-1, the rest of it doesn't matter. You just wipe the whole Bible out then. Here's what we're being asked to believe by modern science. Whatever that force is, they call it evolution usually, but there's a few other names. This force, plus billions of years, somehow acted on the matter whose origin we cannot explain. Because it is a force and not a logical being, an intelligent being, it has no plan, it has no design. And through random selection alone, it produced everything that exists. It's kind of like saying there was an explosion in a printing press and out popped a dictionary. It's kind of like saying that time plus nothing plus chance equals everything. And there are three things it can never explain. If you don't believe in God, if today I'm talking to people, I'm sure I am somewhere, you're, you, you consider yourself an atheist. There's, th- there's three things you can never explain. One, you can't explain the origin of matter. Genesis did, Genesis 1-1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth matter, mass energy. You can't explain where that first gram, or first molecule, or first atom, or first whatever you want to call it—you can't explain where that came from. Secondly, you can't explain how it differentiated itself. If there was no intelligent designer, how did how did some of it become this and some of it become that? I was having a conversation before, uh, over, over in the fellowship we had before Sunday school this morning, and I learned something. I learned that sharks have multiple rows of teeth, and so when wh- it loses a tooth, the row behind it just moves up and replaces the tooth. Wow, who told it to do that? The force. A guy named Frank Turek wrote a book I have in my library. It's called, it Ta- I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. His whole point is that atheists, it requires more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. Because you have to take these giant leaps. Like, who created that second row of teeth in that shark? How did those cells know to differentiate and do that? So, the force can't explain the origin of matter. It can't explain how it differentiated itself into different forms. And thirdly, it cannot explain personality. You take away God, how do you explain personality? You have matter, you have energy, but how how, how do you come up with the idea that here I am, I have the same DNA as... As my children, or at least part of my DNA is in my children. But we're as different as day and night. How do, you, how, do you, how do you explain personality? That we are people. We're not machines. We're not computers. We're not automatons. We're people. And there's seven and a half billion of us on the planet, and every one of us are different. How do you explain that? Answer, I don't think you can. Now there's a third option. Everything came from nothing. Everything came from some impersonal force, not an intelligent being. And thirdly, everything came from a person. And we have the Bible. An all powerful person, infinite in his knowledge to create a universe infinite in his power to carry out what he knew to be. An all-powerful, intelligent person who had a plan and a design, a literal blueprint for the universe. And so we answer the first of the ultimate questions that we're going to try to deal with. Is there a God? And here we have God. He steps out of eternity where he existed prior, always existed. He speaks, which is a reflection of his will. He speaks. He creates time and matter and space. And he takes those building blocks and begins to make the universe that we know. Everything began with an infinite, eternal, person, personal being. And Genesis 1-1 even gives us his name. His name is Elohim. El, the strong one. And the rest of the word means the one who keeps his promises. The Strong one, infinite in power and intelligence. The strong one who speaks and his will is done in the universe. And he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. And he had a purpose for this universe. This purpose did not, this universe did not come into being. Out of blind, random chance with no blueprint and no designer. Everything about it is planned as you begin to look at it. Everything about it is designed for for a purpose. And he had a purpose for you and me. And here's his first purpose for you after he gives you life it is not his will, his purpose that any should perish, but all should come to life. All should be saved. It is not his will that you die in your sins. He gave his son his purpose for you. Will you stand with me to your feet and bow your head, please?